is worthy of all glory today. Hallelujah. The book of Joshua chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. When you got it, say so. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Father, we honor you. We thank you tonight, Lord God, for the opportunity, for the privilege, Heavenly Father, to serve you and to worship you. Father, to give you the glory that you alone are worthy of. Father, we thank you for your wonderful presence. And we thank you for being here with us tonight, God. Father, we ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying under your church that we would not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And God, we just thank you so much for the inspiration of your word. May it change us and transform us for your kingdom and for your glory. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, we began dealing with this topic, new beginnings, and we started with this particular message, I began the message. I didn't obviously complete the message, but it started with the message in dealing with this topic of Joshua entering into this land of promise. And I just want to repeat a few things that I said initially. I want to make sure that we run through this, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but there are some things that I believe are worth reiterating, and, and that way you'll be in line with what it is that we're going to talk about here. But it is vital for us that when we read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, when we read what the Word of God says, that we don't read it as some fairy tale stuff, that we don't read it as something that was there, that are just old stories for us, but that we read the scriptures and that we view them first and foremost, as I said, as God's resume. God has given us these Old Testament scriptures to show us who He is, to show us what He is about, to give us an understanding, not only the Old Testament, but also the New but the reason why we're dealing directly with the Old Testament is because we're reading from the Old Testament. And a lot of times when we read our Bibles, we want to, you know, go through. We may hear somewhere, whether I preach it or you read it somewhere. You know, you should read through your Bible once a year. And I hope that you are not just reading through your Bible just so that way you can mark that off your checklist of things to do. I read my Bible every year. That's not going to help you if you're not getting some revelation. Amen. It is imperative that we read the word purposefully and that our purpose is more than just reading three chapters a day so we can say that we did this. No, no, no. But when we read the word of God, we should be reading it, asking God to speak to us, asking God to give us revelation, to give us understanding, to give us a, a, a clear picture of what his will is and what he is really about. And so when we're reading these stories and these, and, and these records, I like to call them, we need to see first and foremost, this is God's resume. 
The second thing that we need to read it as, we need to read it as the do's and the don'ts for our lives. We need to recognize that when we're looking at things that are going on in the Old Testament, when we see certain behaviors, when we see certain attitudes or certain actions, it's important for us that we make a mental note and we say, wait a second, I I need to be sure that I grasp the principles that are being communicated so I don't fall into the same sins, that I don't fall into the same disobedience, that I don't fall into the same ways that the children of Israel or any other nation that is being spoken about falls into during those times. We don't want to do those things. And the Apostle Paul says that these things are written for our example. Did you hear me? These things in the Old Testament, he's talking about the Old Testament now, are written for our example so we don't make the same mistakes they made. Glory to God. So it's important for us to recognize the do's and the don'ts. Not just the don'ts. You need the do's too. Hello. We talked about, I don't remember which, it, it was one of the messages that dealt with this crossing over. And, 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 and God spoke to Joshua and said, the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I said, the question is not whether God will be with you like he was with Moses. The question is, will you walk with God the way Moses did? That's a do. Hallelujah. That's something that we should do. That's something that we should strive to do, something we should strive after, to walk with God the same way that Moses did, to walk with God the same way that Joshua did, to walk with God the same way David did. We don't want to commit the mistakes that these people made. We don't want to commit the the, the things that they did that were wrong. We want to do the right things. We want to look at those things for our example. And not only that, but we want to make sure that when we look at the Old Testament, that that we see it from the scope of the light that was given to us from the New Testament. We realize that the Old Testament is a type and a shadow. And so when we're reading these Old Testament stories, we get the full revelation. We get the full understanding. That's what that meant. That's what that was about. That's what that was symbolic of. When we read these stories that we've been dealing with, we talked about the crossing over of this Jordan. And we realized that this this was a miraculous, awesome experience for the children of Israel. They had been walking around the the, the wilderness for 40 years, and now it's time for them to enter into the land of promise. And God communicates to them, and he tells Joshua, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, first of all, remember, he communicates to Joshua. He says, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. I need you to get up. I need you to lead my people. His ideal situation turned upside down. And so now God begins to deal with Joshua as the leader of the children of Israel, and he begins to communicate to him. And says, now I want you to lead the people. But this is how you're going to do it. You're going to have the priests with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders step in the water. And when they step in the water, I'm going to begin to show the people that I'm with you. Therefore, when they step in the water, the waters of the Jordan are going to part. And this was an awesome thing. A powerful miracle was taking place here. And so God begins to reveal that he is with Joshua the same way he was with Moses. Because remember, Moses stepped out into the Red Sea and he went, you know, stretched out his staff. The Red Sea parted. Now Joshua says, you know, God communicates to him, gives him this command. So now this miracle takes place. And for those of you that were with us, then we realize that what the scriptures were communicating or showing us was that we see two glorious miracles, one in the beginning of this wilderness journey and one at the end of this wilderness journey. In the beginning of this wilderness journey, the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They are coming out of the land of slavery, out of the land of limitation. They are coming out of the land of bondage. And as they're coming out of this land of bondage, they don't want to fight their enemies. They are fleeing in the face of their enemies. They are recognizing, I am not strong enough. We are not capable of overtaking taking our enemies therefore we need to run and it's important for us to recognize when it is time to run I know y'all might be sleeping but you got to wake up with me glory to God hear me now 
We, we, we need to know that there's some time to stand and fight, glory to God. But there are other times it would be wise of us to just go on ahead and run, amen? To just recognize, look, I, I ain't that bad. Hello, somebody. I, I don't have that much pride. It's time to run. It's not time for me to sit there and try to fight this thing because I can't. And so, see, that is the beauty of this picture. They recognize they can't overcome these Egyptians. They can't overcome their armies. They've been in bondage and slavery under them for all of these years. They have no control, no power. They see the opportunity to get out of there. And so what do they do? They're following Moses. And what happens? The enemy decides at first, okay, you can go ahead and go. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's heart gets hard, and he says, oh, no, y'all can't run. I got, I'm coming after y'all. Pharaoh comes after these people who are running away. They don't want to fight him, but he wants to fight them. Hello. He wants to take them back captive. That's what the enemy wants for you. Do you know that? Hello. So running away, the enemy's pursuing them. Now they're scared. Moses is like, God, what am I supposed to do here? He said, listen, just stretch out your staff. Everything's going to be all right. Red Sea parts, they're crossing the Red Sea, enemies pursuing them, they get across the Red Sea to the other side, Red Sea closes, what happens? The enemy is done for. Now, God shows them again, I am that I am. I am the great I am. I got you in this. I'm going to bring you through this. You, 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 now, now it's time to walk with me. So they're walking in this wonderful wilderness experience, could have been like an 11-day experience. They decided they wanted to prolong it. Because they still had that slave mentality. They still had that wrong mentality. So when they go into the land of promise, what do they see? They see these Egyptians. I mean, they, they, they see these giant-looking people to them. And they're like, man, we're like grasshoppers to them. God says, all right, you don't want to fight them. You're not ready to fight. So here, you know what? Just walk in circles. Y'all got to get this revelation in your spirit. When, when you find yourself walking in circles, it means you ain't ready for that next level. I hope you're getting this. When you find yourself going around the same old things, you're seeing the same issues over and over, the same conversation. That when you see that the same all the time, don't say, oh, this is boring. Look, well, hold on a second. Wait a second, God. What's wrong with me? Are you hearing me now? Because when you're ready for that next level, God's going to speak that next level word to you. When you're ready for that next level, God is going to communicate, okay, it's time to move. But see, we're walking around in circles. So children of Israel, walking around in these circles, walking around, walking around, walking around. Finally, 40 years later, all of those non-believers die, right? Hello. All of those folks that just weren't going to go into this land of promise, they die, and God communicates, okay, Joshua, you're taking them in here. So now we see the first parting of these waters was for them to leave and to go. Their enemy was destroyed. Now the second parting of waters is not destruction of enemies. Now it is they're going to face their enemies. You see, you, you, you went from one place running from the enemy. Now I'm going to make you face the enemy. Now, now, now here, you, 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 got, you got to see what God is communicating. Okay, so now it's time for you to face these enemies because I want to bring you to that next place. And you're not going to be able to do this without some type of opposition. Hello, somebody. I mean, come on, if we can just be real for a moment. The moment that you decided that you are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross over. I'm going to move into that next dimension. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to fast. I'm going to begin to seek God. I'm going to begin to dig into his word. I'm going to begin to commit myself unto the things that I know I'm supposed to do. You're going to tell me that it just got all of a sudden easier? I doubt that's what happened. Most of the time when you make those decisions, things begin to get harder. All of a sudden, it was easy for you to be up early up in the morning. Now you can't wake up. Your body's like bricks. Hello, somebody. You're trying to get up out the bed and it's like, man, I don't know what's wrong. Before I was up sitting around, didn't know what to do with myself. Now I can't make myself roll out of bed. Hello. All of a sudden you find yourself up all night just worried about stuff. 
Look at this guy going crazy. So we have this understanding that things are not going to be easier. So we see this beautiful picture. We find that there is a symbolism, a great miracle that takes place. We find the destruction of the enemy moving forward into now you have to oppose and overcome your enemies. And then the most beautiful thing is, remember, we're not just looking at it as do's and don'ts. We're not just looking at it as God's resume. But we also need to see it from the scope of the light of the New Testament and what we understand. And here's what we realize clearly within the New Testament. What we realize is that Jesus upon the cross now stick with me here Jesus upon the cross the Bible says that he made a public spectacle of the enemy when he was on that cross y'all remember that scripture right in the book of Colossians amen glory to God and the Bible says in that same place right before that he communicates that he disarmed all powers and all principalities This is what our Bible tells us. So you see the crossing over of the Red Sea is the same thing as that cross that Jesus bore for you and I. Amen, somebody. It's the same thing. Jesus bore the cross. He defeated the enemy. When you look at that cross, you see that the enemy is defeated. But the moment that you and I decide that we are going to bow before that cross, the moment that you and I decide we're going to take up our cross and follow him, then we talk about the next step. And what is the next step? The next step is warfare. So, the, so, so one cross defeats your enemies. The next cross makes you confront your enemies. The next step is warfare. So as we've been reading through this story, we understand something that after we have dealt with our flesh, we have crossed over, right? We've come to Christ and we've recognized that we need him. We have recognized that, you know what? I'm not strong enough to overcome my opposition. I'm not strong enough to overcome my enemies. I'm not strong enough to overcome all of those things that were holding me back. I come to the Savior and when I come to the Savior, I allow him to deal with my flesh. Amen, somebody. I allow him to work on me internally. I allow him to cut away from me those things that are not going to keep me walking with him. I allow him to remove those things that are going to be obstacles and hinder me from experiencing his fullness. And after I deal with all that glory to God, it ain't over. Because the next step in this is warfare. The next step in the apostle Paul, he communicates clearly. He says, I fought this good fight. So when he says he fought the good fight, what does that mean? That he was just over there doing jump rope or something? Hello. No, the apostle Paul was going through some warfare. He communicates to his son Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. Now you fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare based on the prophecies that have been spoken over you. He communicates to his son in the faith, and obviously his son in the faith is going to communicate. When you look at the apostle Pete, I mean Paul, he communicates again in the book of Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Wait a second, I thought Jesus disarmed powers and principalities. Why are we still fighting powers and principalities? Because you and I have got to realize something. The very things that we put to death on the at the cross are the exact same things that the enemy is going to try to revive and bring to life yeah yeah you know those bad habits that you put to death at the cross guess what the enemy's going to come and do well I want to try to bring those bad habits back to life I'm going to try to confront you with situations that are going to cause you to act the same way that you would have acted before you met the savior on the cross you see those those things that your spouse did that was before Christ before you came and said all right God forgive us and we're going to move on what's the enemy going to do as you're walking in life he is going to try to bring to your remembrance 
not the word of God, but the hurt that happened back then. He's going to try to bring to your remembrance the attitude you had back then. So what does that mean? If you really forgave and you really let it go, then you don't need to go back and deal with that person. You need to confront your enemy. You don't need to go back and have that attitude. You need to confront your enemy. You need to deal with the thing that's in front of you and stop looking at the thing that is chasing you because your Savior says he disarmed powers, disarmed principalities. It's up to you and it's up to me to do what? To rise up as valiant warriors and say, God, we are here to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony because we love not our lives unto death. This is what we're supposed to do as children of God. Recognize that warfare is a real thing. Warfare is something that is serious. And everything that you put to death at the cross with Christ, the enemy is going to try to revive. And so what do we have to do? We have to embrace the teachings of the word of God. We find in Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through 5, and then we look at 15 to 19. And we won't read those because last, the last time we got together, we talked about them. But I want you to repeat this after me. Victorious living is contingent upon our obedience. Victorious living is contingent upon our obedience. When we talk about spiritual warfare, I want you to realize something. We talk about spiritual warfare and we deal with things like prayer. We deal with things like fasting. We deal with things like rebuking. We deal with things like binding. We deal with things like loosing. And all of those things are, are part of spiritual warfare. But I want to let you understand something because we've got to grasp this. And this is something that I believe I've been preaching in this church since the beginning. And it is that we have got to realize that the greatest weapon that we have in spiritual warfare for us to overcome the enemy is obedience. Would you hear me? The greatest weapon in spiritual warfare that we have is walking in obedience. When we look at this story of Joshua, we find very, very quickly here, we see, and, and I'll go over this and I'll move to the second point, but we find that Joshua does what? Joshua has this encounter with this angel of the Lord. An appearance of Jesus, a Christophany in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes and tells him that I'm for the Lord. Are you with me? That's the bottom line. That's the question that needs to be answered. Joshua obviously says yes because what does he do? He begins to bow down. He begins to communicate. Thank you, my brother. He begins to communicate and, 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 and demonstrate through his act of worship, you know, I'm with the Lord. I'm on God's side, and I want to walk with him, and I want to do what God has called me to do. And so he has this revelation. And then the next thing that happens is God begins to give him the exact strategy that needs to take place in order for them to overcome and the first place they're overcoming is a place called Jericho Jericho means it's moon or, or you, and when you look at the moon when does the moon come out the moon comes out at night hello somebody now I, I, I need you to understand this now because the, the the first enemy you got to defeat is the one that you've been fighting in the dark mm -mm, you, you didn't get it you, you didn't get it the, the, the first enemy that you got to confront is the one that's boxed in, that's, that, that, that's all Fort Knoxed in your life, the one that no one knows about, the one that you're fighting. That's the first enemy that you and I have got to confront. It's the one that's in the dark because that's the enemy that will continue to come back and haunt us. When you, look at, when you look at Jericho, Jericho was a place that, look, they had like double walls. This was a place that it says no one was coming in, no one was going out. There was no way to get in that place. And so God said, look, it's not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit. Amen? And so all you got to do is obey what I'm saying. You ain't got to get battle rams. Hello? You ain't got to go get sledgehammers. All you got to do is get a sledge praise. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. 
You need, to, you need to walk in obedience around this place for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And when you hear this trumpet blast, join in the sound of celebration. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. Join in the sound of celebration. Join in the sound of victory. Raise your voice and give God glory and watch. Those walls are going to come down. But the first place, the first place that we got to deal with is we got to deal with those things in the dark. Those things, you ain't got to tell me about them. God knows about them. And you know what God is waiting for? God is waiting for you, for you and I to unify with him and say, okay, Lord, we're tired of being destroyed and being defeated in the dark. We want to bring destruction to our enemies. The first one we have to deal with is this one. And, and, and we understand the point and the principle that God is showing here is he is showing us how important obedience is for us to see the victory. Why do I say that this is one of the biggest things, one of the greatest weapons that we have for spiritual warfare? Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says something that's amazing. It says that God desires obedience over sacrifice. Why? Because our sacrifices are us trying to compensate for our disobedience. I'll say it again. Our sacrifices are us trying to compensate for our disobedience. Well, I didn't do what you told me to do, and I know I didn't do it, so I'm going to do a lot of this to make up for what I didn't do. Hear me, church. Jesus Christ is your compensation. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is your compensation. Jesus Christ is the one who died in your place. Jesus Christ is the one who made the sacrifice for you and I. You cannot, I cannot, out-sacrifice what Jesus did. The only thing I can do when I drop the ball, when I walk in disobedience, the only thing I can do is come before God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we will confess our sins unto him. Hello, somebody. You see, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. But hear me, we cannot take advantage of that sacrifice. See, that's the problem. Some folks just want to take advantage of the sacrifice. Oh, well, he already made the sacrifice, so you know what? I'm good. You know, all right, well, Lord, forgive me. Like, it's not a big deal. Mm -mm. Hear me now. God desires obedience over sacrifice. Obedience and what you know. Listen, you may not know everything that the Word of God says. Nobody in this place does. Did you hear what I just said? Nobody in this place, there is not one person in this place who knows every single thing that the Word of God says by memory. But everybody in this place has access to the same Bible that I do. Hello. Maybe not my personal Bible, but a Bible like mine. Hello. Hear me now. Everybody has access to that Bible. Everybody has access to the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you where God is looking for you to be obedient? The first place that God is looking for you and I to be obedient in is in the place where we know what we know. The first place. What you know you should be doing, that is what you need to do. What you know you shouldn't be doing, that's what you should not be doing. Hello, somebody. See, when we look at this whole obedience thing, I want you to understand why this is such an important principle. And I'm going to use a scripture in the Old Testament because it's one that we're all familiar with. And it is found in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. And y'all know this scripture. And it's a scripture that deals with tithes and offerings and robbing God and all this stuff. What I want you to do right now is I want you to shut off your mind to the fact that I said the word tithes and that I said offering. I want you to think about one thing, and that is obedience. Say obedience. Because the people of God had been disobedient, what they did was they closed the windows of heaven and they opened the door of, of, of the, uh, opened the door to the enemy to bring devastation to their lives. Hear me. Hear what I'm saying. God the Father says this, you robbed me, 
So what happens? He says, test me in this. He moves on. He says, test me in this. Bring in all your tithes and offerings. Again, hear the word obedience. Just be obedient with what you know. Bring in all your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. Try me in this. This is what he's telling us. Try me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. What does that tell me? That tells me that disobedience, if he's got to open the window, that means the window is shut. Are y'all staying with me here? Glory to God. So what happened was their disobedience shut the window of heaven. And then he goes on to say, and see if I will not rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So why does God have to rebuke the devourer? Because they opened the door to him. And so what does he say? Flip it around. If you obey what I'm saying, the windows of heaven will open, meaning blessing pours down into your life. Amen, somebody. And God Almighty, this is so awesome. God Almighty says he, you ain't even got to turn around and rebuke. I'm glad like three people got that. Glory to God. When we walk in that obedience, he says, let me defend you. You go live your life in blessing. Let me deal with the enemy. Does that mean you're not going to have to rebuke? Well, let me take you to the New Testament because I know some people are like, well, that's Old Testament. Okay. All right. All right. I'm good. I'm good. I, I thank God for his Bible. Hallelujah. Well, the book of James communicates some wonderful stuff to us there he talks to us about you know where do wars and all these things come from you i believe it's james chapter three somewhere around there chapter four or something like that and he communicates to them and he says to the to the people of god through james where do all of these things come from inside of you it's from your flesh right and then he tells him he said you have look look what he says this is so amazing he says you have not because you ask not you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. Amiss simply means you ask with the wrong intentions. See, you're asking God for blessing because you want to show someone else, look at my bling bling. You want to show someone you don't like, oh, but well, look at what I got. Look at how blessed I am. God says, I ain't into all that. I'm not trying to glorify your pride for behind. What does he go on to say? He says something that's amazing. Submit yourself to God, period. How, how, how is it that we submit ourselves to God? How? Is it by just bowing down on an altar in prayer? Is that, how, is that how we submit ourselves to God? Is it by us praying in our prayer closet for an hour, two hours, three hours? Is that how we submit ourselves to God? Partially. But that's not the end of it. The way that we truly submit ourselves to God is by taking what the word of God communicates and saying, God, I will live this out. When we live out the word of God, when we obey the word of God and go against our own desires, you know what we're doing? Submitting to God. So what is he saying? He's saying, he, now, now remember, in context, let's, let's stay in the context of the, of the quote that the Apostle James is communicating. He says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. So what is the whole heart of this? It is us having prayer answered. Hello, somebody. It is us receiving that which God promises. God doesn't want to say no to his children except to things that they don't need. Hello. And so he's saying, Submit to God. Walk in obedience. And the devil, 
See, when you're walking in obedience, when you're submitting. See, this is the thing. You don't even have to make the effort in resisting the enemy when you're submitting to God. Because it's two opposite actions. When you are submitting to God, let me tell you where the struggle is. The struggle is not the resistance of the enemy. The struggle is your submission to God. And when you are submitting to him, when you are putting your flesh to death, when you are putting your desires on that cross, when you are saying no to, no, no to self and yes to God, when you are saying I will not bring glory to my own name, but I will bring glory to the king. See, that is where the fight is. That is where the struggle is. And the moment that you and I are able to submit to God and yes yield to God the enemy is resisted church it's an automatic thing because because what does the Bible say the Bible says that a carnal mind is enmity against God that means when you think in a carnal manner that is automatically resisting God that is automatically opposed to God so what happens when I embrace the mind of Christ I'm resisting who my flesh and my enemy and the scripture promises us. So why is this important? Because again, repeat it with me, victorious living is contingent upon our obedience. So if we want to walk victoriously, then we need to walk in obedience. The second point that we need to get to here today is, is this, and repeat this after me. Individual disobedience can be the cause of communal calamity. Individual disobedience doesn't mean everybody's got to do something wrong. Individual disobedience can cause communal calamity. One person can mess it up for everyone. Did you hear me? One person can mess it up. Why? Well, God, you know, I, I, I just got to work out my own salvation. I ain't got to worry about nobody else. The devil's a liar. You're in the flesh. Hear what I just said. You, you, you are in the flesh when all you're worried about is you. That's not the way the body operates, so you must have a problem being connected to the body. I know you didn't want to hear that, glory to God, but I still love you. <laughs> hear me. Hear me, church. When you do not care about your brothers and your sisters' welfare, you are a selfish person. Listen, your whole body cares that your whole body is working together. Your hand is not over here saying, well, I'm just going to worry about me. Forget about the rest. That is not what your hand is saying. Your liver is not saying, well, I'm going to worry about me, forget about, uh-uh, that's not what's happening. Your heart is not saying, I'm going to worry about me, forget about everything. Your leg is not over here running away from you saying, I'm going to worry about me. That's not what happened. I guarantee you there has never been a morning that you woke up and your leg ran out the room without you. Unless you have a prosthetic leg that is, you know, remote control or something like that, and that's still not really, that's, that's artificial body part. That's not a real body part. Hello, somebody. Now, there are some mornings that you wake up and part of you wants to get up and the rest of you doesn't. Hello, somebody. Now, we can all relate to that because you might have went and played a sport or worked out or did something crazy, strained a muscle. But what happens when that occurs? The rest of your body begins to compensate for that part that is hurting. Hello. Because it is a body. That is the way the body operates. And so we need to recognize that one person's disobedience can mess it up for everybody else. When one part of your body is hurting, especially, and I know Pastor Anna can appreciate this, especially when it is a vital part of your body like your back. Hello. Mm -hmm. You go on ahead and you try to stand up when you got back pain. You can't do it. You, you, you're over here walking like, like, like you're crazy. Because it is a vital part of your body. Can I tell you something, church? Look at your neighbor. I'm not even going to tell you. You're going to tell it to each other. You, say you. 
are a vital part to the body. Look at your other name and say, you are a vital part to the body. Now understand this. If you're a vital part to the body and I'm a vital part to the body, what does that mean? That means that we need each other. Hello, somebody. It means that we need each other in order to accomplish the will of God within this earth. Amen? Very important for us to grasp this, that we have to understand these things. It's amazing because when you continue on reading, and we'll look at chapter 7 and verse 1, after this great victory that the children of Israel had experienced, all of a sudden, look at chapter 7, verse 1. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against against the children of Israel. Now I want you to, you, you, when, when you read this story, you see what it said. It said the children of Israel sinned against the Lord. It didn't just say he sinned against the Lord. Everybody was guilty for this thing. Everybody experienced what was going on. Everybody, everybody experienced the repercussions of his bad decision. Hear me now. Children of Israel, what did they do? They just came out. They just dealt with them enemies in the dark, had overcome them. Jo- Joshua's like, you know what? Listen, hold on a second. That, that's not even a big city. We just took down Jericho. You know what? Just sending a few guys to fight. A couple thousand. We don't, you know, we, we, we don't need to send all the warriors in there. Let them stay home with their wives and enjoy their family. Scripture says they go in there. They're encouraged, man. They just saw walls come down like just by screaming. I don't, know, I don't know if you understand the high you would be on if you saw something amazing like that. You saw this incredible miracle. You just saw these walls that looked absolutely amazing. You couldn't climb them if you tried to climb them. There was no way to knock them down, and you saw these walls just crumble as you were shouting. That, that, that would have you just on a, on a spiritual high, emotional high, or every kind of high you can think of. You'd be all there. Just high. Hello, somebody. In a godly way, hello. Glory to God. Oh, my Lord. With this youthful church, you got to clarify those type of things, right? Hello. Huh. So they're all excited. Joshua's like, I'm going to stay home with the family, huh? Y'all go ahead and take care. This is going to be quick. Be done. The Bible says they go up in there, and these people of AI chase them out like they are nobody. Have these guys running away from them. They are like, oh, my Lord, what just happened? They're shouting, screaming, like, hold up, where's the priest with the ark? Something, something messed up up in here because we did not see this victory. They come, back to the, they, they, they come back to the camp, and here's the thing that we've got to realize is that defeat, church, is an indicator of one of two things. Either you're going in the wrong direction or you have not fully obeyed God's direction. I'm not talking about difficulty. I'm talking about defeat. See, there's a difference. There are difficult situations that we go through. That doesn't mean that you're defeated. That means that you're going through a process. Hello. I'm talking about things that are defeat, things that are done, things that are over, things that you were fighting for, striving for, and those things just fell apart. Those things are defeats, church. Hear me now. Those things, when we look at those things, those things are situations that we got to say, wait a second, either I was going in the wrong direction or I didn't fully obey what God told me. It's one of the two here. And in this situation, what does Joshua do? As a great leader, he does what any good leader that loves God is going to do and is trusting God. He falls on his face before the Lord on behalf of the people. And look with me to verse 6. It says, then Joshua tore his clothes. 
and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? And I love God's response. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Get up. Get up. In other words, I didn't fail you. You have nothing to be afraid of. There is sin in the camp. There is something wrong. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. You didn't do anything wrong by coming over the Jordan. You didn't do anything wrong by approaching your enemies. There is something wrong. There is sin in the camp. He says, why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. So God says, look, son, I'm leading you in this direction. He may be saying to you, daughter, I'm leading you in this direction. That may be what he's communicating to you tonight. And, 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 and you're seeing some difficulty. You're seeing some opposition. And, and what you got to recognize, is, wait a second, am I going in the wrong direction? He answers that question. He says, no, you're going in the right direction. The other issue is where the problem is. You have not fully obeyed what God has communicated. Remember, victorious living is what? Contingent upon our obedience. If we are not going to obey God, we should expect nothing from God. Did you hear me? If we are not going to obey God, we should expect nothing from him. We should expect nothing from him. If we are not going to obey what he says, why do we expect anything? That's hypocritical. How do you, how do you think your children would look? Just think about this for a moment. How do you think your children would look coming up in your house, whatever time they want to come up in there, Ain't washing no clothes. Double negative for y'all right there. I got that. All right. No clothes. Just making all kind of mess in the kitchen. They, they skipping school. Come to you on Friday night. Talk about daddy. Can I have the keys to the car? Because I want to go out. Uh, I like that Spanish, right? Uh -huh. You're crazy. Are, you crazy? Are you out of your mind? That is the most hypocritical mindset. And you know what the sad part is? Us Christians, that's how we think a lot of the time. Here's what it is. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to pray, right? I'm going to fast. I'm not going to do the other things you tell me to do in these other areas. I'm not going to obey in these other areas that you've called me to obedience. But I'm praying, right, sacrificing, fasting, right? I'm rebuking, binding, loosing, all the other things that I need. But I'm not obeying you. And yet, God, please intervene on my behalf. God, please change my situation. Why? I need to change you before I can change your situation. I need to deal with you before I can change them. I need to, I need to fix you before I can fix it. 
But we want to be disobedient and then, oh, God, come on. Wait, wait a second. Hold on. If you're not obeying him, don't expect anything from him. If you're not listening to what he's communicating in his word, if you're not doing what the word of God says, don't expect the results that are in the word of God because those things are there for us as his children. Hello? So Joshua gets on his face before God. God tells him to get up. He said, there's nothing wrong. You're not going in the wrong direction. Somebody has disobeyed me. There's something that's going on. He gives him this whole way to figure this out. And so they bring all of the people up to him by, by tribes and then by family, then by household. And finally, it comes out that Achan is the one. And, 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 and you know, Joshua, a good leader again, he doesn't come condemning him with a stone in his hand ready to throw it at him. He's like, son, give glory to God. Give glory to God, son. Give him the glory. That's what God wants. He wants to be glorified. Hello. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now you remember chapter 5 there. When they're going to run and they're going into, into, into Jericho, Joshua communicates, kill everything, kill everyone, and all of the spoils, they go into the treasury. Everything that is worth anything, silver, gold, all of that stuff goes into the treasury. Don't touch it. It's a curse for you. It's something that may look like a blessing, but it's not a blessing for you. Hear me now. It's something that looks, it looks good. Kind of like, you know, remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Oh, the fruit, it looks good. It looks good for knowledge. Let's go on ahead and take a bite. Hello. It looked good. It wasn't good for him. And so Achan decides that he is going to do that. And it's important for us to realize that our personal disobedience can have immediate short-term effects or delayed long-term effects and sometimes both. See, we've got to think about our obedience, our personal obedience, doing what is right, doing the things that God communicates because those things are very important. Look, I want you to know, this is not just some Old Testament principle. When you go to the New Testament, you're going to find something that's pretty amazing to me. Um, the apostle Paul is on this ship, and he's on his way in, in the middle of this great storm. And you remember the story, how, how the apostle told them in the beginning, we shouldn't leave because it looks like it's going to be stormy weather. And they said, well, you know, we're going to do what we think is right. They get on the sea, and they, when they get on the ocean, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the waves began to rise up. There was all kind of torment that was going on, and these people were fasting. They were afraid. And the apostle comes out, and he says, y'all should have listened to me from the beginning, but you know what? An angel of the Lord stood by me, and, I, and I'm assured that all of us are going to be fine, and everything is good. Well, y'all continue to fast forward in the story, and you remember that after this happens, these, these fishermen or, or these men that are on this boat, they do what? They decide to start lowering down their little rafts. They're going to get out of the boat, right? And what does Paul say? Paul says, listen, not one person can get off this boat, or else we're all going to die. Hear me now. So what is, what, what is God showing us? He's showing us again. You can't just think about yourself. you got to think about everybody else. 
We especially, and I say this to the men of God in this place, listen, I have a passion to see men of God walking in the authority and the purpose that God has for them. And it is vitally important that we lead our families in a loving and godly way, that we are not some men that are sitting up inside of the cave of our bedroom with our surround sound system and we're ignoring everything that's going on, that we are also not men that have just stuck in a room with our face in a Bible and letting all hell break loose in our house, letting our wives deal with stuff, but we need to be those type of men that are rising up and who are involved actively and the lives of our children who are involved actively and the things that are going on within our families. It is our responsibility to make sure because we are going to be held accountable for what goes on in our homes. Hello, somebody. It is of the utmost importance that we as men of God, that you as women of God, that you rise up to the position of intimacy and obedience with God the way that God has called us to be. Don't sit back and just be idle and let stuff happen. No, 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 no. We need to be active, church. We need to be involved in these things, making sure that we are being responsible with ourselves, but also with the ones whom God has entrusted us with. And so we have this responsibility, and we find here in this story that he decides that he's going to be disobedient. And so what ends up happening is that Achan's sin brought trouble upon Israel. It hindered their victorious forward progress. you got to realize this, that when we decide that we are going to enter into sin, that we're going to disobey what God is saying, we affect the forward progress of the body. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I just said this. When you have back pain and you're laying in your bed, there is a problem in your body. The rest of your body cannot move forward until your back is able to move forward. When you, if you break your leg, it's the same. You ain't running. You, you, you're not going to run like you did, hello, before your leg was broken. If you, you, know, you mess up a part of your body, there is going to be something that is going to hinder you from moving forward until the whole body gets together. And you know what? Whether we like it or not, God calls us the body of Christ. And so if one of us if a family of us, if a few of us are messed up and going through stuff, you know what happens? We're hindering the forward progress of everybody else. And so if we want to see God moving us forward, then what does that mean? That means that we need to align ourselves with what his word communicates. Our concern must be what, church? It must be to always give God all the glory and trust, hear me now, and trust that he is faithful to bless us at the correct time. Look at chapter 8. This, this, this is amazing to me. Chapter 8 communicates in verses 1 through 3. Look at what the word of God says. It says, now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Remember, he's reminding him of the word of the Lord that moved him in the beginning. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. I want you to realize this. God doesn't give him another word. Hear me. Did you hear what I just said? God doesn't give him another word to stand on. He reminded him of the first word he spoke to him. So what I'm encouraging you is that when you begin to go through whatever it is that you may be facing and God gives you this word that really touches you and ministers to you at that moment in the beginning and then five months down the road while you're still going through this and you go to get counsel and they tell you the same thing, remember the story of Joshua. God will remind you of what I spoke to you in the beginning because my word should be enough to move you forward forward amen somebody and so what we realize is that God reminds Joshua he says I know you just experienced a defeat I know you just experienced a heartbreaking situation yet I want you to grasp this my son do not be afraid nor be dismayed take all the people of war with you and arise go up to Ai 
See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Now look at this. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Did you hear what I just said? See how awesome God is? Forget, forget about the word booty. I know y'all are caught on that one. Here, here, here. Listen to one. I know y'all like booty. Look, listen. Look what God does. I want, you, you, you've got to see this in its full context. What was it that Achan got caught up in? Money. Booty, spoils. What did he do? He saw this Babylonian garment. He saw this silver. He saw this gold wedge. And he was like, man, I may never have this opportunity again. Think about this. He was looking out for number one. He's like, you know what? I'm going to grab this. Look, there's a whole bunch of this stuff. I'm going to grab just a little bit. Me and my family, we're going to be all right. This is his mindset. He said, I'm going to take this when this belongs to God. And look what happens in the next chapter. In the city, Ai, that they were supposed to go in and overcome, you know what God was going to say? I'm not just going to give you this 200 shekels. I'm not just going to give you this one wedge of gold. I'm not just going to give you a Babylonian garment. I'm going to hook you up. Do you hear what I said? This is what God is communicating. He's saying, listen, don't think I'm being stingy when I ask you for, for the first thing. <laughs> Don't think I'm being stingy when I tell you, do this, do it this way. Don't worry about yourself. Be concerned with bringing me glory. Don't be concerned with that. Because you know what? If you just walk in obedience, you will walk right into the blessing that God promised. But we're so worried about looking out for numero uno. Hello, somebody. We're so worried about taking care of ourselves. We're so worried about that consumer mentality. It's all about me, church. It is not all about you. It's all about bringing him glory. It's all about bringing him honor. You know what really messed me up about this whole thing? Is that when I look at this story here, I find something that's amazing. Because again, we're supposed to read this looking from the Old Testament to the New, right? We're supposed to look backwards from the revelation that God has given us. And I found something amazing. The first judgment and calamity that comes on the children of Israel is the same, is the, is the same thing that brings the first judgment to the Christian church. What are you talking about? When was the first time that you saw God's hand of judgment in the New Testament and the book of Acts? Wasn't it when Ananias and Sapphira were bringing this gift, this money? Hello, somebody. They're bringing money and they polluted the, they, they took some for them. Again, they took some for themselves and what happened? They both got struck dead. We need, we need to grasp this, this principle because some of us have issues with money. Hello, somebody. Maybe it'd be better if we just call it booty. Hello. We're taking up the booty right now. I mean, I don't know if that'll make me be better for y'all or whatever the case may be. But hear me now. Some of us have issues with money. Some of us have issues giving. Some of us have issues sowing into the kingdom. Some of us feel like, okay, well, I've given enough. Hello, somebody. When is it? When did God say, I gave enough? I'll tell you when he said, I gave enough, when he gave everything. Hear me now. And I'm not just talking. Listen to what I'm going to say because I, I want to clarify this because, you know, people get all sensitive when you start talking about money. And it's okay. It's all right if you get sensitive and uncomfortable. It's good with me. Glory to God. Hear me now. I'm not talking about just giving to the church. I'm talking about giving 
in general. I'm not just talking about your tithes and your, no, 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 no. I'm talking about being a giving person. I'm talking about seeing a person, a family in need, and not having to come and give it to the, no, no. I'm talking about that type of stuff. Recognizing that, yeah, your brother going through a situation, that is your problem. Now hear me. I'm not talking about the irresponsible brother that is just making all kind of bad decisions and doing whatever they want with their money and don't want to work, don't want, I'm not talking about that one. That's their problem with God. They need to deal with that. I'm talking about the one that is sincerely going through a hardship, sincerely going through a situation, sincerely going through a difficulty. That is not, hear me now, some people ain't going to like this either. That is not just Bishop's responsibility to get the phone call and write a check. Hear me, church. It's not, that, that, that's not what it is. It is our responsibility to bear one another's burdens. I hope y'all are getting this. It is our responsibility to make sure that we are plugged in to the, center, to the heart of God and that we are sensitive to that which God is communicating to us about our brothers and our sisters and what they are going through. We need to be, you know, you know what I love to hear? I love to hear those wonderful testimonies where someone comes into the house of the Lord having been broke, having been messed up about a situation, and suddenly someone out of nowhere just walked up to them and said, you know what, God just put this in my heart for me to bless you. That is the most beautiful testimony for me to ever hear. It's wonderful. Some Sometimes I get the privilege because people, you know, they want to be real silent with their giving. You know, they, they, they don't want to be boastful. And so, you know what I've seen done before? I've seen people write checks to the church and they've said, you know, this check is, you know, $100 for such and such a family. Please keep it quiet. We don't want to know who did it. And you know, people have done that. And that blesses my life just as well. Here's the reality. We have got to be sensitive to those type of things and what our brothers and sisters are going through. Amen? But when you look at this story, when you look at this story, I hope you're getting the picture. You see in the Old Testament, children of Israel walking into victory. And what was it that stopped them? Money issues. New Testament, we find the first time that calamity comes, that, that judgment comes upon anyone in the house of the Lord, and it has to do with money. So, you know, we need to check our hearts when it comes to money, church. We need to make sure that we're right before God when it comes to that and that we are not holding on to something that is not ours. Did you hear what I said? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Everything you got, you really ain't got it. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, everything you got, you really ain't got. Hear me. I, I, love, I read this in a book I, I'm reading. You and I, we're going to part from our riches one way or the other. We're either going to give it away or we're going to leave it. Did you hear what I just said? We are either going to give it away and, and, and when I say give it away, we're going to give it away and send it ahead of us. <laughs> Glory to God. We're either going to give it away and send it ahead of us. Or we're going to leave it all right here and go to heaven and be like, well, come on in. Yeah, yeah, just come chill over here. Glory to God. Got your little one bedroom shack right there. <laughs> Glory to God. Listen, I'm laughing, but it is the truth. You, what, what does Jesus say? Jesus, look, I'm, I'm just trying to help you understand something. Jesus said we're supposed to do what? Store up treasure in. So what does that mean? What, what is he saying? Just store it up? No, he's saying send it ahead. That's where you're going. That's where you're going to be basking in glory. That's where you're going to be rewarded for all of your good works. And so what is, what is that communicating to us, church? That we need to make sure that we aren't holding on to the money like it's ours because it is not ours. We need to gain a manager mentality and lose the owner mentality. 
You see, if Aiken would have had a manager mentality, he would have known, hey, man, whenever God says it's mine, I can work with it. Until then, I need to just keep on. But he started thinking, well, I'm an owner. I got to get, I got to hook. Uh-uh. Wrong mindset. Same thing happened, Ananias and Sapphira. They got the wrong mindset. Instead of them understanding, we're just managers. We have this property. Let's sell it. Let's give. And that way we can bless and be a, a ministry that is able to do what we got to do. Instead of, well, we're going to keep a little bit for us because it's a whole lot of money. Wrong mindset, church. I'm closing with this. Say this with me. We must become fully convinced and intentional about victorious living. Turn with me to chapter 11 and verse 2. I mean verse 12, I'm sorry. Joshua chapter 11 and verse 12. Look at what it says here. It says, so all of the cities of the king, of those kings... And all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Underline that. Highlight that. But as for the cities that stood on their mouths, Israel burned none of them, except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil. Now look at this. Remember I told you God was going to hook them up. And all the spoil, not some of the spoil, of these cities and the livestock, the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. And verse 15 again, highlight this. As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone in all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Church, we must be fully convinced and intentional about victorious living. When God first began to speak to Joshua, he told him, let not the word of this law depart from thy mouth, but meditate on it there day and night, that you be careful to do everything that it says. That he, he, he understood something. The word of God is that thing which is going to lead me into victory. The word of God is that thing which is going to lead me into seeing all of the promises of God accomplished. And so what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, we we must believe God's plans for victory. If we don't believe his plans, it doesn't even matter. Not only must we believe his plans, but we must pray for God's plans of victory in our life. If we believe them, then you know what that's going to lead us to do? It's going to lead us to pray in a certain manner. Once we are praying for God's plans, we need to reprogram our minds with God's plans for victory because our mind, the way that we think as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so if I am not thinking the things of God, if I I'm not meditating on the Word of God. If I am not letting my mind and my heart and my soul become consumed with what the Word of God says, I will never align myself with the blessing of God. I will never position myself for the open heavens in my life and the closed door on the enemy. But if I will believe the plan of God, pray the plan of God, and if I will begin to renew my mind according to the plan of God, I will inevitably align myself with that plan. We got to be intentional about this. We can't just walk around like maybe God wants me to have victory. There's no maybe in this church. God wants you to walk in victory, period. 
There's no doubt about it. God wants to see you through whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through. He wants you to walk in victory. Now, here's a sad reality, and we see this in the life of Achan. God wanted every one of the children of Israel to enter into this promise. But because of his personal disobedience, even though it affected everyone, at the end, it affected him and not the rest of the people. And so why do I say this? Because you know what? There are some knuckleheads on planet Earth, and some of them are in the church. Hello. There are some people who will not align themselves with what the Word of God says. There are some people who will not walk in victory with you. They will be your opposition to victory. That doesn't mean that you have to be defeated. That means that you can humble yourself before Almighty God, and you can say, God, take me to the victory. I'm moving toward the promised land of heaven. Understand me now, when I talk about promises, I'm not talking about a land that we're going to live in now. Right now, we live in the promises of God. The promised land waits for us, amen? The promised land is the place that we are headed for, and we should be excited about that place. We should be looking forward to not 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 only you know you know what this is what I like to see. I like to see people who have wonderful lives and still looking forward to heaven. Because it's real easy to be going through hell and look forward to heaven. Hello. It's real easy to be going through hardship and be like, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait till Jesus comes. It's a whole different thing when you have a good marriage, decent home, good job, children are acting right. It's real hard, you know, for you to just be like, man, I can't wait to leave this place and go there. Hello? We, church, have got to have that mentality. We've got to have that heart. God wants us to walk in victory. And so most importantly, we must learn to measure victory through the scope of Scripture. Not society or culture. Victory is not what the world calls victory. Not everybody in this place is going to be rich. Did you hear what I just said? I wish I, wish I could prophesy to you. I'll just be prophet lying. Hello. I wish I could prophesy to you and say, everybody in here from today on, you're going to be rich. Boom. Shakalaka. Boom. I wish I could do that. I wish I had that kind of power. But I don't. But what I can tell you is everybody can be blessed. Everybody can walk with a joy that surpasses all understanding, can walk with a peace which surpasses all understanding, can experience a love that surpasses all knowledge, not a love that comes from a man, woman, a child, but a love that comes from a heavenly Father who has shown you that love. Everybody in here can walk in that blessing. You may not have that big house with the white picket fence. You may not ever get it. Hello, somebody. But you know what? You can experience contentment having what God has provided for your life and walking in that blessing and showing that person with six houses with white picket fences, hello, that they got all that and they still don't have the one thing they need, which is your Jesus. So I'll stand to our feet and bow our heads, please.